Have you ever been in limbo, in a state of in-between, when you're neither here nor there, when you're waiting, just waiting for something to happen? My name is Sandy Ong, and welcome to this new podcast series called In Limbo. Each episode, we explore one in-between state, whether it's waiting for an organ transplant or to adopt a baby. We'll meet people who are at that funny in-between stage, on the brink of a new life, but with one foot stuck in the old. In this first episode, we look at near-death experiences, the state of being between life and death. We're going to hear from people who've had near-death experiences, as well as from those who study them. The first person in our story today is Peter Panagor. In 1981, Panagor went ice climbing in the Rockies with a friend from college. Conditions were bad, and Panagor found himself battling with hypothermia while hanging from a rope off a cliff face. He felt himself slipping in and out of consciousness, which he later realised was a near-death experience. Here's how he describes it. I could see nothing except for a gigantic door, and the gigantic door had a proverbial tunnel through it, and I touched this door with my being, my soul self, and the shimmer, the transparency, the translucency was alive. There was life in it, and I found myself in a place of timelessness. Panago describes his near-death experience as travelling through a tunnel and being in a timeless place. While the details of such experiences vary from person to person, there are common elements that seem to run throughout. The themes are so similar, no matter how the person nearly died or what kind of background they're from, that there's a whole field of research devoted to studying these experiences. Next, we'll hear from one of those researchers. His name is Robert Mays, and he's been studying near-death experiences since 1975. Here's how he defines this elusive thing that he studies. A near-death experience is a profound psychological subjective experience that happens usually when a person is in a medical, psychological, or spiritual crisis that involves a number of elements that include feeling that you're out of your body, that you have no pain, and that you have the experience of going through a tunnel and being in a heavenly realm and meeting deceased relatives and having life with you and then coming back to your body. People have been recording such experiences, or at least things that sound like them, since as early as the Middle Ages. The actual term near-death experience was first used in the 1800s by a French psychologist called Victor Egger. He used it to describe how some of his patients, who were mountain climbers, saw their lives flash before them during a fall. But it wasn't until nearly 100 years later in 1975 when research into near-death experiences really took off. That was the year psychiatrist Raymond Moody published his book Life After Life, where he interviewed 150 people who had near-death experiences. Since then, over 3,500 cases have been studied. The cases sound incredible, hard to believe even. But hundreds of these experiences have been reported in credible peer-reviewed journals. And part of the scientific research here involves a scale one that scientists use to describe the depth of an individual's near-death experience. It's called the Grayson NDE scale, after psychiatrist Bruce Grayson from the University of Virginia. Grayson is considered one of the forefathers of research into near-death experiences. The scale he invented has 16 questions, and is used to evaluate a near-death experience. The questions include things like, did time seem to speed up or slow down? Did scenes from your past come back to you? Did you feel separated from your body? Did you see or feel surrounded by a brilliant light? 
Yeah, so apparently the whole step into the light thing isn't just a cliché. To find out more, I spoke to Scott Taylor, who has been researching near-death experiences for over 15 years now. Here's what he had to say about the light. There's three different kinds of light that people often encounter. There's the white light you see a lot on television, where you enter it and it's a loving, dynamic light. There's the black light that is, it's a womb-like experience, it's very nurturing, and clear light experience is where God's energy just emanates from everything. There's other movie tropes that surround nearly dying too. The idea that you feel like you're floating above your body, watching the scene from above. Researcher Robert Mays, who we met earlier, says this apparently happens for some people. So a blind woman floated out of the hospital and it was snowing outside. She could see the tracks of the cars and streets in the snow. When people are viewing something outside of their body and in the physical realm, they will see events and they will see unusual things that we can verify as, oh, they couldn't possibly have known that or they couldn't possibly have seen that because they, you know, it was down the hall or it was in another city. (laughs) And, And yet that's what exactly happened. Another question on the Grayson scale is, were your senses more vivid than usual? It seems fairly common for your senses to be heightened when you're having a near-death experience. You know, let's say we, we're in a garden and we see the flowers and we smell the smells, and that's the way it is. Well, in the garden, in a near-death experience, there are many more colors than in physical reality, and they're intense colors. And same thing with the smells. So there's heightened senses and thought. For example, vision isn't the ordinary vision where there are solid objects. When you're seeing the physical reality, you can see through things and you can see around things. So you can see a table and you can see under the table. Seeing through tables? It feels so strange, doesn't it? And yet, that's the kind of thing people report over and over again when they're asked about their near-death experiences. So what causes these kinds of feelings? And why are all these people reporting such similar, strange memories? There are different theories. Things like a lack of oxygen to the brain, or too much carbon dioxide, or neurotransmitters acting up and causing hallucinations. But the truth is, no one really knows for sure what causes a near-death experience. So even though there have been thousands of cases reported in the literature, many of these are hard to verify or to measure scientifically. We just simply don't have enough data to be able to establish correlation, much less causation. And it's not like you can just put someone in the lab and almost kill them to induce a near-death experience. But what we do know is that these experiences are very real to the people who've had them. And there are apparently a lot of those people. Researcher Scott Taylor explains. In 1982, the Gallup organization did a survey, and it showed that roughly 5% of the U.S. population has had a near-death experience. There has not been a large study done again. You walk into a room, a party, or a classroom, and go, my, there's 20 people. I mean, two people in this room have had a near-death experience. I wonder which ones they are. Now, that's a lot of people. Some celebrities have also come forward saying they've had near-death experiences. People like Elizabeth Taylor, Sharon Stone, Tony Bennett, and Jane Seymour. Before doing this podcast, I didn't know anyone who had a near-death experience. Or maybe they just never told me about it. Or maybe I just didn't know the right kind of person. The kind of person who's susceptible to this kind of thing. 
Maybe people who have these experiences are super religious or spiritual. Or maybe they just do a lot of yoga. I don't know. But Mays says there's no one type of person for this. There's no demographic criteria. It happened to people of all ages, both sexes, all cultures, all religious backgrounds, all ethnicities. There's no distinction. Everybody can have this experience. But maybe there's one thing that these people have in common. It's something several people have told me, and we'll hear it now from Peter Panago, who has had not one, but two near-death experiences in his life. Remember Panagor? We met him at the start of this podcast. He had his first near-death experience in 1980 on an ice climbing trip to the Rocky Mountains. He had a second near-death experience earlier this year when he had a heart attack. He says something surprising about his experiences. That coming back, that not dying, was something he chose each time. And he says that after that first time, ice climbing, when he chose to come back, he kind of regretted it. My whole life, every day, I pray for death to go back because I feel like I made the biggest mistake ever by coming back. Why would I want to come back? If I could stay where it's love and beauty all the time in a way that is 10,000 times the 10 million what you could ever experience here. But then the second time when his heart gave out and he got that chance again to go back to the place of beauty and love, he once again chose to stay. I saw my son's face as he said, I love you, Dad. And I thought about my daughter, his sister, my brand new grandbaby. And I decided if I could stay, I would for love. The idea of choosing to stay with the living is something that Mays talked about too. And many times a person comes back because they know they have a purpose and they know what they want to do. I have young children, I have to take care of them. I have this project that I want to complete. And so they come back because they want to come back. But usually a near-death experiencer says, oh, I don't, I, please, I want to stay here. This is so much better than being on Earth. All the pain and suffering and difficulties there are then told, well, they have to come back because they have a purpose. Taylor talked about it also. Many folks who have near-death experiences actually come up to a boundary. And at this boundary could be a window, a door, a stream, a street they had to cross. Something where if they go through, if they cross over the stream, then they know they will not come back to the physical, that they will stay in the non-physical world from then on. There's actually a whole community of folks who've made this trip who've been to the edge of death and have chosen to come back from it. And that's partially because having a near-death experience isn't just stressful because you almost died. It has lingering effects on your life. Effects that some say only other people who've stepped away from the edge of death can really understand. After Panagord nearly died ice climbing, he felt lost. I told only two people for 20 years. I started trying to figure out what had happened to me. I, I I had no context. I had no idea what had happened. I'd never heard of it. It sounded completely crazy to me. And I decided not tell anybody till I figured out what had happened to me because it sounded crazy. I thought I had gone insane. For many people, being close to death changes them entirely. Some have compared it to the hero's journey, the storytelling template used in many narrations and mythologies. A person who's had a near-death experience leaves his ordinary world, experiences an ordeal, and is thereby forever changed upon returning. There are actually 12 stages to the hero's journey, and I've summarised them really briefly here. But you get the idea, that of transformation. 
Apart from psychological after-effects, May says that a near-death experience can also have lingering physical impacts on a person. The after-effects include tremendous sensitivities. They can't stand being in strong lights, loud sounds. They become sensitive to certain foods. They become really sensitive to medicines. And some of these long-term impacts are a little stranger. They can't stand being in crowds because they're so open to other people. They're experiencing what everybody else is. They're reading their minds and they're feeling what the person is feeling and, and their physical problems. And so they can't be around a lot of people. Again, there's no data on this. This is just what people say they feel when they come back from the brink of death. And that's all we have. These accounts from people who share this one incredibly strange experience. We're all in the same boat. We're all a little lost. Most of us, if not all of us, didn't really want to come back. But there were reasons we were turned back, we were dragged back. I made a choice to come back, but it comes with depression and lostness, and it's like a curse. So where does that leave us all? With a lot to think about, evidently. While scientists still have a ways to go in terms of understanding the science behind near-death experiences, there's no doubting that these feelings and memories are very real for the people who've been through them. They're often pivotal points in their lives. Maybe near-death experiences serve as a catalyst for change, or maybe they're a way of helping people deal with the trauma they've been through to make sense of what happened. Whatever it is, near-death experiences help people engage in a wider conversation about life and death, and to consider the possibilities of what may come after. Well, that wraps up our first episode of In Limbo. I hope you enjoyed it. Be sure to join us again next week to explore another exciting in-between state.